Fantastic. Well, it's great to be here this morning. I think Geordie's done enough welcoming into 2019, hasn't he? Yeah, well and truly done. Um, it is an absolute privilege and just want to say thanks um, for the opportunity, Pastor Charles, to be able to do this this morning. First Sunday of 2019 and to be able to preach here at Uni Hill. It's just uh, fantastic. A, a place that my family and I now call home. And uh, so to be able to preach to the family is, uh, is a really special opportunity. Um, I am a bit of a cr cricket fanatic. Do I have any other friends in the crowd with me? Do I have any other friends that have felt a bit of pain this summer? Bit of, bit of pain this summer. It's been quite a painful one. Watching the current test match in particular, you know you're in trouble when you're watching... I went to, to day four of the, the Boxing Day test. And uh, you know you're, you're in trouble when you're talking with the people you attend. I was there with my dad and, and my brother. And we're saying, gee, it's really good to see how well the guys are fighting it out. They're doing a good job and consistently getting out for 20 or 30. But you're trying to find the, the silver lining. They really seem to guts it out a bit. You know you're in trouble when that's the circumstance. Um, one of the things about cricket that's really confused me, though, is why cricketers wear pants. Has anyone noticed this? It's a summer sport. It's a summer sport, but they still wear pants. Where does this come from? And, you know, I think having a, having a look back in, uh, in uh, the, the history books and you look back in the 1800s, it was all about it's a gentleman's game and gentlemen wore pants. It's unsightly for their legs to be seen. But it was also another thing that I, I found that, um, that, that <laughs> especially coming into summer when they're still white and pasty, very reflective, excellent. Um, but I think uh, the, the other thing was is because, and, and I love this, the practicalities of it was because as opposed to um, in the United Kingdom, you'd have your football or, or soccer, those players, they, they wore shorts, even though it was winter, the grounds were softer because of the rain. Whereas in summer, because of the sun, the grounds were harder, so the pants were to make sure that you didn't get as injured as you possibly could if you wore shorts. Interesting, hey? Seems a little bit soft to me, but anyway. Um, as, a, as a cricketer from way back, I still have to wear pants. 35 degrees. I, I used to be a fast bowler. There is nothing great about putting pants, like rather than having shorts. Pants are good. Shorts, we're, we're talking shorts. Um, there's nothing like putting full-length pants on on a 35-degree day and then running around for an afternoon. Like, it's just, it's just not on. Yet it's a tradition we still carry on. It would make sense in England maybe more so than here. But why? We, we need to, you know, we, we're just so disconnected from the past in that. Another weird sporting tradition that really gets to me is around Wimbledon. Again, any tennis fans here? Yeah, come on. Wimbledon, right? The, the most premier tennis event on the calendar and everyone has to wear white. Everyone has to wear white. You look a couple of years ago, in the late 90s, uh, in the late, early, late 80s, early 90s, Andre Agassi actually refused to play at Wimbledon for three years because of this rule. He refused. He said, if I can't wear colour, I'm not playing. Just a number of years, not that long ago, Roger Federer, number one tennis player in the world, one of the greats of the game, actually got reprimanded because he had too much colour on his shoes and had to change his shoes. It's crazy. And you follow it back as to why this is the case. And it is so disconnected from where we are today. See, the, the reason why is because it was a, around the fact that it was unsightly for people to be seen with sweat patches. And so it was decided that white was the best thing to be able to hide sweat patches because sweat patches for those that did manual labor. 
And if you did manual labor, you were, had a lower rung in society. So therefore, if you were playing tennis and you were gentlemanly or you're a higher stature person, it would be unsightly to be seen to be sweating. So white was decided. Now, can you imagine that if we said to Roger Federer today or if we said to uh, uh, Serena Williams, now, the reason you're wearing white is because we don't want to see your sweat patches. It's so disconnected from where society is today. Yet still today, it is entrenched in Wimbledon that you wear white because of the tradition, not because of the original purpose behind it. It's bizarre, isn't it? So today, what, what I want to get into, as has been spoken about, is in terms of where is our future, we're looking at tradition versus change. Tradition versus change. And to begin with, what I want to do is, is begin by defining what I'm, I'm putting uh, the, around the idea of tradition. Um, so I'm thinking traditions and habits. So if you look at the Cambridge Dictionary, it says this around tradition, a belief, principle or way of acting that people in a particular society or group have continued to follow for a long time. And I guess rather than, I want to try and broaden that out a little bit further today, than rather than just being an, a group or an organisation, but also about us individually. So what is it, um, so as an organisation, it could be structures that we have. It could mean rules that we have in place. It could mean the way of doing things. As an individual, it could be my habits or the, the things that I, I do. I think the, the words that I put around it are, if you're saying things like, it's what we always do. We've always done it that way, or oh, that's the way I've just done it for ages. That would typify what I want to define as tradition today. So as I speak, I hope that you can continue to call back to that's what I mean when I'm using the word tradition. Uh, so let's get into this, hey? Should we pray? Lord God, I thank you so much for this first Sunday of 2019, Father. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work within us, that you would speak clearly and that people would walk out of this place today transformed. Thank you, Father. Amen. So I would like to start in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 through verse 7 is probably one of my favourite sections of Scripture in the whole Bible. It's a, something that's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, and is a place where Jesus unloads his, his thinking, his teaching, his thoughts to pe the people that are following him. It is a piece of Scripture that... that challenges me, it intrigues me, and it really, um, yeah, it, it just, it's heavy. It puts a lot of weight on me. Now, where I think where we, uh, where, where I want to jump into here is in verses 13 to 16. And here's what it says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, just recently, I heard, um, had the opportunity to hear Tim Costello unpack some of this, this passage. And he was talking about this idea of salt and light. And what does salt and light look like? That salt, there's this preserving factor. One of the, the best properties, most, one of the most uh, distinguishing properties of salt is its preserving nature. And I guess a, a great illustration of that for me is one of the bonuses, and uh, this is a shout out to some of the Italian family that are here, but uh, the, of marrying into an Italian family is the meat preparation days. Come on, Charles, you know it. Um, sausage day and cured meat making day. 
And uh, Carlo and Rita that are here, um, my wife's auntie and uncle, actually hold a day of this nature. And uh, one of the things that happens is, is the curing of the meat. And what happens is big chunks of pork neck and pork leg are bought, put into a bath, a big bathtub, and covered with rock salt, some red wine, and are left to sit there for 24 hours. Then as the salt begins to permeate and, and change the, the structures of that meat, with you, then the next day you, you get rid of the salt uh, and then you begin to wrap it in certain ways. I won't go into all the things because I'm going to do it incorrectly. Sorry, Carlo. Um, I'm, I'm not following the method correctly 100% here. But what you end up doing is you end up hanging the meats for the next two to three months and what you get at the end is this prosciutto that is just magnificent. And can I tell you, we had a lot of that this Christmas and it was a good thing. Salt is a wonderful thing when you put it with pork, let me tell you and let it sit for three months. But there's this preserving nature in that that meat, you can actually, uh, it can last weeks once it's actually cured. It, it lasts weeks. It actually lasts quite a long time without going bad because of the preserving nature of the salt. So I see salt and preserving as holding on to tradition. This sense of, this, this sense of tradition being important, that Jesus is saying, I want you to hold on to tradition. I want you to be people that preserve things and hold on to those. But then at the same time, in the same passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking about us being light. And there are other passages in Scripture that talk about light being exposing darkness and exposing things that are caught in the darkness. And where light is, darkness cannot hide. Things can't be, be, be stand still where light is. And there's a sense of change being driven, a sense of change coming and, and things and change being a strong part of where light is. And so there's this sense of salt and light being imperative to the way that Jesus is calling us to follow him. But if I look at that in terms of tradition and change, which seem to be at polar ends of the scale, how do we actually do both? It seems to be one of these, uh, one of these paradoxes or challenges that, that we find in Scripture at times. How do I be someone that holds on to, to tradition but then drives change and, and, and invites change into my life and into the lives of others around us? And so what I want to try and do is, is unpack some of that today and get that tension, unpack that tension for us so that we can understand how, what that can look like for us today. So where I want to begin with that is this idea that tradition has the ability to give us strong foundations. Tradition can be a fantastic thing. Tradition can be incredible and give us this great strength. So I, I look at the Old Testament I look at the different uh, festivals that were put in place by God to, to remind Israel of him. I look at the different, uh, the way that scripture was held and the temple and the temple processes that were put in place. And that as often happened, Israel, people of Israel would float away from God, but there were these things that God had put in place that would draw them back to him. These traditions that would continue to draw them and remind them who their God was and that how they were supposed to interact with him. Tradition throughout the Old Testament continues to draw the people of Israel back to God. Also, I, I think of even today as we look at tradition. You know, we haven't done it today, but communion, I see, is an incredible tradition that we do as a part of church. The, the fact that we take the time to stop and remember Christ and Him crucified and what that bit of biscuit and that bit of juice means. That on a, whether it's fortnightly or monthly basis, we take time out of our service to reflect upon that and to almost replicate what happened just before Jesus' crucifixion with his disciples in that Last Supper. That bit of juice representing 
Christ's blood, that bit of bread and biscuit representing his broken body for us. And the power in those basic, seemingly simple symbols. Communion, it's a powerful tradition that calls us back to who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. And I think sometimes we're actually quick to dismiss other traditions that that sit within other parts of the church because we view them as outdated or because we don't actually understand them. I think for me, part of my journey in that was um, I I work at uh, at World Vision and we have a broad range of Christian people that work for us. And uh, I was actually chatting with one of my work colleagues who's actually an Orthodox, uh, Greek Orthodox Christian. And uh, he grew up, actually grew up Baptist and then became, started going to an Orthodox church. And he felt like that really connected with him more as a follower of Jesus. And it's fascinating chatting to him, taking some time to actually unpack his faith and some of the traditions that are upheld within the Orthodox church. And uh, one of those that we got to soon enough was, I said to him, what is it with the bells and smells? Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, the, the, little, uh, the little boxes with the this incense that's burning with the bells on it that the, the priest walks down and, and waves down the aisles. And it looks pretty weird, doesn't it? Right, in, in all honesty, who, is anyone with me or... Yeah, or am I the only one that sort of had preconceived ideas about this? Yeah, it, it, it looks pretty weird and unusual. And you're sort of like, well, what the heck has this got to do with anything? Like, it just seems like one of these archaic traditions that has nothing to do with anything anymore. But as I was unpacking it with Yanni, he was telling me, he goes, listen, Sam, my priest that does it every time he does that and he walks down the aisle with that, with that incense and waving it, he's actually, he's actually in tears because of how profound an experience it is for him and because of how connected to his worship for God it is. And he began to talk about that and how the, 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 the deep connection to God that that experience had. And it actually got me thinking about my own worship as we do it. And is, does my experience of worship actually correspond to that? And it actually profoundly impacted me into, man, I've, I've got to make sure I don't just take for granted my worship of God but actually understand the reverence and, and the power of actually standing before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I, I actually did a little bit further research on it and what it actually means. And uh, it, it actually signifies three things, these, the, the burning of the incense. Number one, it represents worship of God who is present in, in their church, in the temple and in the Eucharist. Secondly, it, it, re- it represents prayers rising to God like smoke. And thirdly, I love this. This is beautiful. The grace, it represents the grace of the Holy Spirit, which God pours upon us as incense pours fragrance through the church. Isn't that beautiful? And there's a prayer that corresponds with it, which is this. We offer thee incense, O Christ our God, for an odor of spiritual fragrance. Receive it upon your heavenly altar and send down upon us in return the gift of your Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Couldn't we all do, I I want that, eh? I think we had a sense of that in our own way this morning in our service, yeah? That sense of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon us. But I think at times we can be quick to to jump in and not see the foundational nature that tradition can play. But here's the kicker, is that with tradition, if we actually move away from its original purposes or we forget the original purposes, it can actually begin to hold us back. See, the reason why there's power in the priest actually burning the incense and walking that down the aisle and him weeping is because in his weeping, he's remembering what it means. 
He's reconnecting with the, the power of it. And it's not the tradition itself, but it's what is the meaning behind that tradition where the power sits. And I think where we, where we sometimes miss it is when we, we, get, we, we miss the purpose and we stick to the, to the letter of the law of what's being uh, represented here. Let me unpack that a little bit. So the Pharisees, they were passionate about following God, yeah? They were passionate. They were, they were sticklers for wanting to follow him in the best way possible. They wanted to implement and live the Ten Commandments like no one had ever lived them before and wanted to encourage others to do the same. And in doing so, they decided the best way that they could possibly do that was to create 613 extra laws to help to live out those ten. Because it was thought that that's the best way I can do it. The best way I can live out these Ten Commandments is to add these extra 613 so I can honour God in my life. Seems like a, when you get to it like that, it seems like a good idea. Okay, and I can understand my boundaries and my structures and that, that's the way I do it. But when you lose the heart behind what was originally purposed, what you end up with is 613 extra rules to follow and the ability to wrap people over the knuckles and whack them, which wasn't the original purpose. But that's, in Jesus' day, that's where we see it ending up. And many of those rules and laws were actually instituted, a bunch of them were actually around the Sabbath. And what it actually meant to rest. And well, you can walk this distance, but not this distance. And if you're someone that can, can heal people and, and repair injuries, well, if it's not life-threatening, leave it to tomorrow. It was, it was actually the rule that was set in place. It's these bizarre rules that actually miss the heart that was behind the original purposing of those extra 613 rules. Matthew 23, 4, Jesus says this, he says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. That's where, when we miss the purpose behind tradition, when we forget, when we forget what, we, what it was originally put in place for, it can come, become weights around people's necks that begin to actually get in the way of us worshipping God and connecting with him. And I think at times we can do the same thing. Does, does anyone resonate with that? I, I, I do the same thing. You know, I, I remember uh, when I was at uni and uh, the big thing at the time was that you set your alarm for 5 a.m. to spend time with Jesus. It was, and if you weren't doing that, you weren't really a true follower of God. That was, that was the way. If you really wanted to be the best you could be, get up as early as you could, spend an hour, maybe two hours with God and then that was the smart thing to do. And so, you know, I thought, well, if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. And I tried to do it. And do you know what? I failed miserably because I was a uni student. And I became frustrated and annoyed. And when I did do it, I was actually really falling asleep and not really concentrating. It wasn't the best use of my time because there, it wasn't the time of day that a uni student should really be doing that sort of thing. Unless God's calling you to it. Like, let's, let's get to it. But the heart behind it was to be setting time aside with God, to hear from him, to receive from his word, to, to do these things. But when we put these limitations and rules and structures around them, like, that's just not, it's not happening. And for me today, with three small kids, to try and set my alarm for 5 a.m. to get up and, and spend an hour with God. Last night, our beautiful son decided it was a great night to be awake all night like from I think it was like 12 30 to 4 30 he was awake and just hanging out dad can I go to the toilet now please you know could you imagine me then setting my alarm for 5 a.m how good would my time with God be if I had have done that 
rock on. (laughs) But what we need to do is, is what is the heartbeat behind this tradition? How is it that I reconnect with what's behind it to ensure that I get the most out of it and draw myself to God? Another one, I think, which is more recent for me is uh, in terms of reading. Now, reading I see as something that is so important to keep up to date with what's going on, to continue to deepen my understanding of God, to continue deepening my understanding of other things. But again, by the time I get to the end of the day, often the last thing that I want to do once the kids are down, hopefully by 8.30, 9 o'clock asleep, yeah, sometimes, um, is, is to sit down and begin reading a book. And it's just, it's just not the time that, that is, I'm going to be drawing in information. And so what I've had to wrestle through is, well, what's the best way that I can consume and get that information into me? And I've had to get over my hang-ups of the paper thing and actually settle with the fact it's okay to listen to books, to audiobooks. And funnily enough for me, that was a wrestle that I had to go through. For some of you, you might go, oh, audiobooks, that's fine. Some of you might be going, oh, audiobooks, you can't do that. Paper, paper, paper. But... For me, the, the audiobook and actually using the time in my car, because I have an hour commute generally most days each way. And so it means that I've got this time where I can actually be listening, whether it's the Bible, whether it's other books, I can actually be getting the information and the stuff into me. But I had to get over the fact of this tradition of paper being the Right, so this is definitely mine now then. No, this was in, in conversation with someone else. There was this idea that we were tossing around as to how do we get the most out of actually sitting in, in church services, right? Because... If you attend church every second week, right, which statistics would say that that's not the case, but let's just say, that means that you would sit in 26 church services in one year. It means you hear 26 sermons. Let's say that you then attend Connect Group once a month, so there's another 12 times that you'll hear something unpacked from God's Word, hopefully. Then you might listen to some podcasts on top of that. So there's another, uh, what are we up to, 36, 50, 46 you might attend a conference and hear another half dozen. So you're up around the 50 mark. That's 50 sermons or unpacking of God's scripture that you've heard in a 12-month period. Now, how many of those um, three-point sermons do you reckon you would have remembered all three points? So we may take notes, but how much of it is actually digested and, and transforming us? So here's the, here's the shift, right? Imagine if we sat in a church service and rather than taking down the three points, which I encourage you, that's great, But what if our focus was actually on what is the one thing I'm going to implement from this today? And it may not even be from the person preaching. It might be from the worship time. But what is it that the Holy Spirit's trying to impart on me to implement from today's service? From today, what I've heard. What is the one thing I'm going to walk away from? And could you imagine the shift that we'd see in our lives? If we had that concept for the 52 times that we interacted with God's scripture or with hearing from other people, imagine if we implemented one change, one shift, each time we did that. So as I move into my action application type space, what I want to encourage you to do is, is just think of one thing to apply. I don't want you to remember all three points. I don't want you to remember, I don't need you to remember all that. I want you to walk away with one thing that God's really put on your heart to implement. And do you know what? I'd be so encouraged if it was something from what Pastor Charles did earlier. If it was something, if there was a song in the worship that just struck you. But today my prayer is that you would walk out of this place with one thing to apply from what God has revealed to you. So, to begin with, I asked the question at at the beginning, if Jesus is calling us to hold onto tradition and implement change, how do we strike the right balance? How do we be salt and light? How do we do that? How is 
tradition and change? How do they work hand in hand? And how do we do that as Christ believers? We, look at the, we looked at the Pharisees and the 613 rules. We looked at how Jesus came and, and boiled the Ten Commandments down to two as to loving God and loving others. He stripped it all back. And I guess what I'd, I'd love to encourage us to do over the next week, over the next couple of weeks, over the next month, as we enter into 2019, is to ask three questions. Number one is around purpose. What's the purpose behind this tradition that I'm holding on to? Why, why do I do these things? Why is it that I do that? Why is it that I drive a certain way to work? You know, that, why is it that, that I, I think it's important that I, I read my Bible at, at 6 a.m.? Is that the best time for me to actually be doing that nowadays? Or is there a better time for me to be doing that? Or it might be that 6 a.m. actually is the right time. But what, why am I doing? What was the actual original purpose behind what I was trying to achieve here? Why, why do I attend the connect group that I do? Maybe I should be attending another one now. Why, why do I serve in the connect team rather than the kids ministry team? What's the purpose behind this serving? And, and how do I really do that? So asking that question around purpose. What's the purpose behind what I do? The second point is around loving better. Is this tradition, this thing that I'm doing, the thing that I've done, always done the way that I've done, causing me to love God and love others better? Is it drawing me closer to Jesus? Is it, is it making me in His likeness? And the third thing is around change. What changes can be made? What could the alternatives be? What could it look like? What, what other things could I be doing instead? How could I be doing things? How could I adapt things to make them align better where, where God's calling me for, our, for my future? And I think for this, there, there are personal implications around how we engage in life as an individual, how as families we do things. You know, traditions around the dinner table. Like, how is it that we do dinner table stuff? What, what's the, the best way forward with that? God, how can I use that as a time to draw my family closer to you? As an employee, as a business owner, as a student, what are the habits that we have in place that we can actually begin to critically look at and go, is this actually what God wants for me for the next 12 months, the next two years? And then I also think it's important for us to think about this. You know, as a church, where is our future? What does it look like for, for me as a member of Uni Hill Church? What, what does it mean for me as someone that is connected in, that Uni Hill Church is my family? What does it mean for me to look at some of the traditions that I hold on to? That I sit on the right-hand side rather than the left-hand side? And I think, what would it look like to shift? But there are much more serious outcomes for that as well, is to, well, are there attitude shifts that I need to make? I've always had this sort of attitude towards things. Maybe I need to shift that attitude a little bit. What are the things that we need to critically take time to look at. So my encouragement, take time, reflect on these three questions around purpose, loving better, and then what change could look like. As, um, as I was preparing for this, uh, and I'm going to hand back to, to Pastor Charles in a moment. As I was preparing for this a couple of weeks ago, I found out just over two weeks ago that I'd be sharing this morning and I uh, was in worship and I really felt God put... Uh, put this on my heart that that there was 
there would be someone here this morning uh, that the place that you have been is great, but call, God is calling you into the unknown. That where you currently are is comfortable, it's familiar, it's recognisable. There's, there's almost like a warmth about it. But God is calling you into something new and there's a, around that there's a feeling of unsettledness and unsure, unsuredness. But I want to encourage you that God is the one that is calling you into that. And uh, I'd love to take, at the end of the service, um, I'll, I'll just wait over here. If you'd like prayer around that, would love to take an opportunity to pray with you around that. So my prayer for us all today is that as we balance between being salt and light, the traditions that we hold would be launching pads for where God is leading us to in our future. Yeah, I'm gonna pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you, Father, that you have called us not to tradition or change, but to both, Lord God. And I pray that you would help us to, to look at the areas of our lives where we need to bring change, the, the areas of our lives where tradition needs to be honoured and continued, Father. And I pray that we would take a critical eye to that, that we would speak to people around us, that we would allow your Holy Spirit to challenge us. But ultimately, Lord God, that we would be drawn closer to you and the outcome would be that we would love you better and that we would love others better. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Wasn't that great? What I want to do just before we close this morning, I just want to encourage everybody to close their eyes. I just want to, I want to ask just a question. Uh, the reason why we close our eyes is just to give uh, the room some privacy so there's no one looking around. But one of the most significant changes I ever made in my life as a young person was that I would choose to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know everybody's journey in this room. I don't know what you're walking through. But I know that if you've been trying to do life on your own, one thing that you can change is that you can engage a relationship with Jesus Christ. Most people in this room probably already have experienced what it is to know the love of Jesus Christ, what it is to have a relationship with Him and to have right standing with God. And, and if that's you this morning, what I want to do is I want to pray for you and then I want to encourage you to come and see me after the service. So with every eye closed, I don't know if there's anybody in this room today, but you need something to shift. And I believe it's Jesus. And what's happening right now in your heart is there's, there's something that, that's beating within you. Why, why, we, why you need to choose Jesus is very simply this. The Bible says that we're separated from God because of stuff we've done wrong. But Jesus and having a relationship with Him can restore you to God. Where you can find hope, where you can find peace, where you can find joy. So if there's anybody here this morning that wants to have a chat with me about what it is to have a relationship with Jesus, with every eye closed and every head bowed, would you just give me a wave this morning? I'd love to be able to pray with you. We're about to pray now to close the service. So why don't we all stand? Hallelujah. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for a new year. Thank You for a new season. Thank You, Lord God, that we recognise this morning the importance of tradition and remembering why it was established. And Lord God, not being scared, Lord God, to pursue You in new ways. Lord, we thank You for this season.
We thank you, Lord God, that you are with us. We just pray that as we leave this morning, your presence, Lord God, goes with us. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Father. And I just pray and speak blessing over every person in this community. Be with them, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. So same time next week, 10 a.m. Just another announcement for parents on the 20th and 27th. Uh, there is going to be a kids' excursions. Uh, so be checking in with Marie for those in the kids' team at registration. They will help you with that. So be blessed. See you next week at 10 a.m.